welcome everyone to the final session of webinar series on COVID-19 vaccine. This webinar is jointly organized by Malaysian Society of Infection Control and Infectious Disease and Institute of Clinical Research, NIH. I am Dr. Noel Thomas-Ross, a physician in Hospital Kuala Lumpur. Thank you for joining us live from five social media platforms. This afternoon, we are indeed honored and privileged to have two panelists with us. Dr. Norzaihan Binti Hassan, a family medicine consultant working in Clinic Kesehatan Banda, Kota Baru. And second doctor is Dr. Muniswaran Ganesan, a maternal fetal medicine consultant at the Women's and Children's Hospital Kuala Lumpur. And they will be sharing some insights into two important topics. One, lessons learned from the phase one rollout of the vaccine. And number two, safety of vaccines in pregnant women and influence of breastfeeding mothers. On behalf of the organizers, my ICID and Institute of Clinical Research, NIH, I would like to thank our panelists, Dr. Noor Zaihan and Dr. Muniz Varan for taking, part, taking time sorry, to join us this afternoon. Our first speaker, Dr. Noor Zaihan Binti Hassan, is the head of clinic and a family medicine consultant working in Clinic Kajatan, Banda Baru, Kota Baru. She is also an honorary lecturer in USM Unity Science Malaysia. She is a contributor to the management of type 1 diabetes mellitus in children and adolescent clinical practice guidelines. Furthermore, she is also, she's also in the review committee member for the management of diabetes in pregnancy. So I present uh, Dr. Nozahan to give a talk. Uh, thank you, Dr. Dr. Thomas. Good afternoon. Assalamualaikum and good afternoon to all the viewers. Uh, the title of my presentation is on lessons learned from phase one rollout of COVID-19 vaccine. And this is my disclaimers. Uh, this is the outline of my presentation, uh, briefly on introduction. And this is more of a, uh, our sharing, uh, our sharing's experience uh, in our planning for phase one. And after that, I will uh, share how we set up our mass vaccination and what are the challenges and how we overcome all those challenges. And I will summarize it. Okay, as uh, briefly on introduction, uh, we started the vaccination program on uh, February 28 and started with a group of vaccinators first. And there, are, there were four vaccine storage centers in Kelantan, namely in uh, Kota Baru, district of Kota Baru, Pasimas, Kuala Kerai and Gua Musang. And uh, Vaccine Storage Center is also known as uh, Pusat Simpanan Vaccine or PSV. Uh, in my district, Vaccination Center or Pusat Pemberian Vaccine uh, is allocated in the clinic as well as in hospital. For the uh, planning for phase one uh, vaccination, uh, we need to provide initially uh, a suitable place for ULTF. As you can see here, this is a photo of ULTF. And this is top loading. We also streamlined the electricity supply to avoid any power supply problem to the fridge. And we had a few meetings with our Tenaga National Berhad Colleague and also engineers. This is the preparation to ensure that there will be no internal or external default in the power supply to the fridge. To ensure the safety of vaccine, the CCTV has been installed in strategic places and uh, a mobile police station are located in uh, our PSV. Uh, 
Uh, in preparation for manpower, the vaccinator group cons consists of uh, uh, specialists, medical officers, paramedics, and also other members. Uh, they, are, they, they have their own responsibilities, and uh, medical officers are responsible mainly to handling the medical problems of the vaccine recipients. Our paramedic will manage the vaccination process, and other like health will fill fill up the my vast system. They are also the navigator in the process of vaccination. Uh, we choose nurses from school health team and uh, from the maternal and child health to give vaccination because they are already skilled in giving the vaccine. For client monitoring, uh, we select medical officers who are already trained in emergency care to handle any immediate side effects or uh, anaphylaxis if uh, it is occur. For backup of uh, taking consent, the task was given to a pharmacist as well. Uh, in preparation for the training, uh, we brief the vaccinated team on information about the clinical, uh, about the COVID-19 vaccine. And we are focusing on efficacy, the side effects, contraindication, and what are the frequently asked questions. This is to help them to obtain consent for vaccination. We have also conducted simulation and also role play on how to handle the vaccination process and also how to handle vaccine with side effects or anaphylaxis. We also conducted cross audits between PPV using the checklist that was uh, provided. Webinar to manage uh, MyVAS database and MySejahtera has also been given to staff. If there is any troubleshoot, the staff will fill in manually and correction will be sent to a KKM MySejahtera team. For the equipment, uh, we need a specially designed low dead volume syringe for Pfizer vaccine. And for the preparation of treating vaccine recipient who experience any side effects such as anaphylaxis, even though it is rare, uh, we have provided anaphylactic kits and also resuscitation kits. Okay, this is the checklist for the vaccine. Before a vaccine come to a vaccination centre, we need to inform the person in charge of the agency involved to ensure that they wear the appropriate clothes so that it will be easy to vaccinate to give vaccine. They should bring their identity card, update their MySejahtera. This is to ensure the name as the per their IC. And for those who come for the second dose, they should bring their vaccine card. And this is the flow chart, the client flow chart uh, for, for vaccination. Uh, first, they will come to the triage uh, station to check in in our PPV. Then uh, they will listen to the briefing. Uh, we use a pre-recorded video with slides to make it easier for our staff to brief. Then they will go to the uh, station for consent and consent will be taken by medical officer and also pharmacist. And next, they will go to my VAS registration. And uh, next is a vaccination station. Uh, this is what I mean by they have to wear a proper clothes so that uh, it will be easier for our staff to give the vaccine. And after that, they will go to observation area. They will ob be observed for 15 to 30 minutes. And our staff will give vaccine card. And for those who receive a uh, uh, second dose, they will get their uh, digital certificate uh, from in my sejahtera. Okay, and uh, now I will share our experience in on how we set up 
mass vaccination in the first phase of rollout COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, in our experience, we vaccine around 500 to 900 and nearly 1,000 per day in our mass vaccination. For mass vaccination, we need a sufficient team to implement vaccination program. Mobilization of staff from clinics or other departments is necessary to ensure the program runs as what we want. And we get help from uh, district office as well as from dental division. Uh, for instance, uh, they can help. So, for instance, dental officer can help in entering, uh, entering the vaccine details in MyVas. Uh, dental uh, assistant will help in filling out and giving vaccine card. And other staff also needed as a navigator to ensure they follow the process and they uh, do the return and data management as well. For logistics, uh, from our experience, a uh, hall that with, with one, only one floor is easier compared to hall that has several floors and no lift or elevator. This is because it is quite difficult to transfer vaccine to a clinic or hospital if they have side effects that need further monitoring in the clinic or hospital. Staff schedule are also important to ensure adequate staff and there should be a contingency plan if, uh, if any changes, uh, um, if, if there is any changes. Uh, the person in charge, in charge of each agency needs to be responsible for the line listing given and they need to be brief to ensure the program will run smoothly. Uh, this is the example that we have made uh, for the floor plan in the hall. Okay. And this is the uh, flow chart we made for mass uh, vaccination. Uh, there are seven stations altogether. First, triage counter, and they will go to verification of their line listing. Uh, if necessary, they will go to a blood pressure counter. Uh, we select those uh, with hypertension and also history of allergy for BP checkup. And next, they will go to a, a registration and they will get their vaccine given. And they will be uh, verified in MyVas and vaccine card will be given. And uh, they will observe next uh, 15 to 30 minutes before uh, the process uh, finish. Okay. Uh, for collaboration with other agencies, the person in charge needs to ensure the staff in the line listing can come during vaccination. And the police will escort the uh, vaccine uh, from PSV to PPV to make sure uh, security, the security. For briefing, we use pre-recorded video with slides. We also provide MyVas help desk to those who have problem with my Sejahtera application. We also need an adequate uh, laptop. Uh, the most important uh, is the line. The line, uh, we, uh, what we use uh, in our experience in a mass vaccination, we use a mobile uh, broadband. Uh, for the line listing, uh, the selection of priority group is very important to be understood by the person in charge because in this line listing, they need to sort out who needs to be injected first. From our experience, the arrangement of priority group has been done well, uh, starting with the healthcare worker, followed by a group of uh, at-risk frontliners, uh, those working in high-risk uh, institutions like prison and also nursing home. For backup, uh, they are also selected from a priority group. Okay, for the management of immediate side effects, if there is a case of immediate side effects, 
to facilitate the staff at the observation station, we have provi provided uh, and prepared a printed algorithm for management of anaphylaxis and provide AEFI or adverse event following immunization form and ADR to be filled. For the returns, we have to make sure the dose given will be tally with the registration in MyVAS. So every day, uh, our staff need to provide vaccination returns to, to ensure the vaccine out is the same as the vaccine given. We have provided color coding, uh, color coding tagging where the vaccine has to return this tagging paper to the staff for us to count the number of vaccine. Vaccine should be equal uh, equal to the consent form and the vaccination given. So this will make sure that we will get the correct data for every everyday vaccination. Uh, this is, our, I'll just share the outcome of our first cohort. Uh, from 28th of February to 25th of March, we have completed the first cohort, first and their second dose. So we managed to achieve zero wastage KPI. Uh, for the second dose, uh, 71 or 3.37% did not turn, turn up for their second dose. And 2035 uh, received their second dose. Out of this, uh, six actually uh, get pregnant after first dose and they were rescheduled for the second dose after 14 weeks of pregnancy. And 32 of them had uh, uh, symptoms like URTI, uh, symptom that uh, they cannot go to a vaccination center for second dose. And we also give the uh, uh, reschedule for them. And four of them had to uh, inject in a health clinic, not in a mass vaccination because uh, they have a problem with a medical problems like asthma, still on control and so on. One of them had moderate uh, allergic reaction that occurs within uh, 72 days after uh, first dose, uh, whereby uh, he, she is uh, not eligible for the second dose because she's allergic to uh, Pfizer vaccine within the seven two hours of post-vaccination. And one of them actually refused to receive second dose because she has immediate side effects uh, about 15, to 15 minutes after the first jab, uh, quite uh, moderate uh, dizziness. And 27 of them said they are outstation, got admitted and other medical problem which is not stable. So we plan for the backup for them and we plan for the catch-up schedule for, uh, for those who are eligible to uh, receive the second dose. Okay. Uh, out of 2,035 vaccine recipients, 322 of them had comorbidity, mainly uh, they are diabetic, hypertension, and asthma, asthma, heart disease, and others. And they were successfully vaccinated and none actually had anaphylaxis. Uh, I did ask uh, the other PPV as well. They claimed that no uh, anaphylaxis so far. Hopefully there'll be no anaphylaxis as well in a phase two and a phase three. And only one person with dizziness was sent to a yellow zone emergency department for observation. And she, she actually not require admission, just observation a few hours. 
And two clients experience immediate side effects, vomiting and dizziness within 30 minutes post-vaccination. And none of uh, vaccine uh, get uh, COVID-19 vaccine after the first dose. And uh, two, two healthcare workers, actually uh, last week I have another one, actually three. Uh, healthcare worker were infected with COVID-19 after the second dose of vaccine. And those who have had anaphylaxis but not to drug or substance containing PEG or polysorbate have been successfully vaccinated in hospital. Besides all the uh, uh, planning, uh, training that we have done, we still have uh, challenges that we would like to share with uh, all the viewers and how we overcome all these challenges. Uh, first, some of the clients actually do not follow staggered appointment, which is uh, quite difficult to follow SOP if there is a crowded uh, vaccine and uh, difficult to follow the new norm. Uh, how to overcome this? The person in charge, the, the agency needs to remind the staff to come according to the staggered appointment. And actually, some agency does not provide person in charge. Hence, uh, this is the duty of our staff. They must call each client uh, to remind all, to remind or confirm attendance. So we really need a person in charge of each agency to help us. If not, uh, they will be a burden to our staff. And the some of them actually, uh, the client said they've been forced and try to skip the vaccine station. This is naughty one. Uh, they come uh, and they actually uh, does not want uh, the vaccine and uh, said that they're being forced by the boss. We have to be more vigilant in controlling each station to avoid the skip any station. We choose like taking paper just now uh, with line listing number to be collected at vaccine uh, station. This is to identify those who actually be injected or not. And at the, F, at the end of the day, we will collect all those things and we total up. You see, uh, this, uh, it must be equal the number of uh, uh, tagging paper with uh, the number of consent form and also the data in uh, my bus system. So the other challenges is that it's not enough. Sometimes we have not enough vaccine for one vial. They either refuse or to the last minute they drop out. So we have to prepare backup, backups every day and we have to tell them that uh, please stand by. Uh, when needed, we will call. There are also challenges in a problem of data. Wrong data entry during registration by our staff. Uh, wrong name, wrong IC or batch number. So training by uh, my vast team and have, uh, if possible, the same staff working in the first few days so that they get familiar. And for verification, they should bring their uh, identity IC. There are actually no case of true anaphylaxis, but there were cases of uh, immune stress-related response or ISRR, which uh, sometimes is similar presentation to allergic reaction. Uh, for instance, they have a symptom of dizziness, palpitation, near syncope, and we have uh, to train our staff how to differentiate between anaphylaxis or ISRR. Uh, the other dilemma is that patient with comorbid uh, dilemma who should be screened for blood pressure because it is not feasible to check all the vaccine, uh, their blood pressure because of time consuming also we need uh, because of limitation of uh, manpower. 
So what we did was we prioritized for those who has known hypertension and history of allergy. Uh, we were asked to go to the blood, blood pressure station to check their blood pressure. And the other main problem, I would say, uh, the technical problem is the data management. Sometimes status in my vast are not complete or in uh, the status is in progress. So we need to call vaccine. And the problem is that some of them not answer the call. Uh, some of them give the wrong number. And some of them, when we asked, actually, they did not go to the verific verification st st station. That's why uh, it is not complete in my bus. And in other words, they do not follow the client flow. And hence, this caused the person in charge to take a long time to correct uh, the data. Sometimes it takes hours and days as well. So we have to find out the reason for each vaccine with status arrived or status progress in my bus. Uh, is there a miss the, uh, any station or due to internet, uh, poor internet connection? So we need a staff to show the direction to ensure the client will go to each designated station and they will not miss any station. So what are the way forward? Uh, we, we thought to use a card reader for first dose registration. This is to minimize any technical error in my bus. But unfortunately, according to our IT officer, we need access to my bus coding and it is currently uh, not, not feasible at the moment. So uh, in summary, uh, planning is more important than ever to ensure we can maintain the cold chain uh, and the client in the live listing will turn up for uh, vaccination. Uh, we, we, we need ad adequate manpower and well-organized vaccination schedule. For mass vaccination, require an efficient and dedicated team so that the program will run as what we want. SOP is adhered to good record keeping. And finally, we can send the correct data. Finally, I would like to thank all our staff for their commitments to the first phase of roll-up vaccination program. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Norzaihan, for your informative uh, presentation. If you have any questions for Dr. Norzaihan, please type your questions in the Slido. We will start answering the questions after Dr. Munis Warren's presentation. The, the next speaker is uh, Dr. Munis Warren Ganesan. He is the unit head and Unit Head of the Maternal Fetal Consultant at the Women's and Children's Hospital Kuala Lumpur. He is also the Visiting Consultant at the National Heart Institute, IJN. He's a member of the Royal College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and was also awarded gold medal for the Masters in ONG from University Malaya. Having completed his subspecial training in UK, he initiated successfully runs the obstetric medicine clinic overseeing the management of patients with complex medical diseases in pregnancy. He has contributed to numerous national guidelines and is the member of the confidential inquiries of maternal deaths in Malaysia. He is actively involved in training doctors and midwives in Malaysia and in the region as a, as a principal trainer of the intense, intensive course in obstetrics emergencies and also, also authored handbook of obstetric emergencies 
His passion is to establish uh, obstetric medicine services in Malaysia and to improve the quality of care of women with medical complications in pregnancy. So without further ado, I invite Dr. Muniswaran to share his presentation. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Thomas, for the very kind introduction. Uh, very good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, first and foremost, I would like to thank the Malaysian Society of Infection Control and Infectious Diseases and the Institute of Clinical Research for this very kind invitation and for considering this very important topic. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been given the task to speak on COVID-19 vaccination in pregnancy, but I'd also like to talk on breastfeeding and this will be a 20-minute talk. Firstly, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to dedicate this talk to the 1,574 patients who have been died due to COVID, the 420 over 1,000 confirmed patients throughout the nation, and the tireless frontliners who continue to battle this pandemic. My heart thoughts, and I dedicate this talk to all of them. I've got no disclaimer in this presentation. This is purely intended for health professionals. The thoughts, committee opinions are purely based on the national guidelines on COVID-19 in pregnancy. Ladies and gentlemen, the last 13 months, we have seen the COVID-19 pandemic, but I must for one say, it is not just a pandemic. There are various other pandemics one which is far more important than the COVID-19 pandemic, I think, is the misinfodemic. Sadly, there's been a lot of misinformation with regards to pregnancy and breastfeeding. Sadly, the vulnerable group, those who breastfeed, those who are pregnant, have been not included in clinical trials. And these are some of the headlines that I'd like to share, which came out somewhere late February. That pregnant breastfeeding mothers are advised against vaccination, where some experts claim that vaccinations are not safe in pregnancy. They also have headlines saying that pregnancy should take a backseat. And some important articles and some committee members have actually been misquoted in the press. So, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to put an end to this misinfodemic. The next 20 minutes, I would like to justify on why and why is it important to include pregnant mothers and breastfeeding mothers with regards to vaccination in pregnancy. I'd like to divide my talk into three important criteria. Let's talk about the implications of COVID-19 in pregnancy. Then we shall justify why we need to vaccinate and protect pregnant and breastfeeding mothers. And finally, this era, it's all about counseling. It's all about a shared decision-making that seems to be our role even more important now than ever before. So ladies and gentlemen, what are the implications of COVID-19 in pregnancy? So based on our experience with regards to infections in pregnancy, it is a common thought that ladies and gentlemen, pregnant mothers are more susceptible to viral infections, especially in the second and the third trimester. And this is extremely relevant after our experiences managing influenza patients, based on our experiences managing varicella patients and even malaria patients, the pregnant mothers are all known to be more susceptible, especially in the second and third trimester. So when first we encountered COVID way back somewhere in March and April, this was our notion. 
unfortunately ladies and gentlemen i think we were swayed towards the wrong side initial studies and papers from wuhan showed that pregnant mothers were actually not at risk where 92% of them had mild diseases and only a small minority of them had severe diseases and following papers from wuhan also showed that majority of them were asymptomatic and only a small minority of 1.9% of them had severe infection so ladies and gentlemen in the earlier days of covid-19 we were falsely misinformed about the implications of covid-19 in pregnancy but let me bring your attention to one large meta analysis now this is a living systemic review and meta analysis published in the pmj the last update was 3 weeks ago now this is the largest trial of the date it has included 64676 pregnant women 569000 in the reproductive age group it has included 82 studies and 92 studies related to outcomes based on this meta analysis ladies and gentlemen if you are pregnant the maternal outcomes are poor the maternal mortalities increase 2.85 if the mother has got covid-19 infection the icu admissions are increase the preterm births before 37 weeks are increase the cesarean section rates are increase similarly covid-19 infection is associated with a poorer fetal outcomes namely the incidence of stillbirth is increase neonatal deaths are increase admissions to icu are increased abnormal abgas scores at 5 minutes and the incidence of fetal distresses are increase ladies and gentlemen covid-19 has got significant implications in pregnancy similar paper just published a few weeks ago from the us cohort looking into threats to mothers and babies in 20 states territorial health departments from march 2020 to january 2021 the findings were similar if a mother was to have covid-19 in pregnancy the mortality is increased the need for icu admissions are increased and the risk factors were same all of them were elderly all of them were from low socioeconomic group all of them were obese and these were the persistent common risk factors let's take a look at another systematic review also recently published about the implications of covid-19 in pregnancy and this paper once again had similar outcomes to report if you have covid-19 in pregnancy your fetal distresses are higher preterm deliveries are higher namely to aid maternal respiration spontaneous preterm birth is also high and yes number of cesarean sections is high so ladies and gentlemen a similar study ever since the bmj report and this was published in the jama in january this year also showed similar evidence that covid-19 is associated with significant maternal implications namely cesarean delivery preterm birth icu admissions the need for ventilation so ladies and gentlemen that was all about the first strain what about implications of the second strain what about the newer strains so this was just published based on the uk obstetric surveillance system was just published 2 weeks ago and it is now more clear 
that younger women are having a higher rate of infections based on the new strain, and more of them are symptomatic. So ladies and gentlemen, the newer strains are affecting younger cohort as compared to the initial strains. And once again, when is the time when most pregnant mothers are vulnerable? It is usually towards the second and the third trimester. This is correlating with what we have already known and is associated with the physiological changes in pregnancy. So ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion from the recently published UK obstetric surveillance system was number one, if we think this is a disease which is purely related to men, it's not true because most pregnant mothers are asymptomatic. They will actually present to the obstetric ward when you actually screen them during admissions, when you screen them during labor. So it is not a disease related to men itself. It is a disease which equally affects men and women. Most pregnant mothers will be asymptomatic, but if the mother has got COVID-19 in pregnancy, the incidence of death is 1%. Preterm birth is 18%, and this is way higher and significant as compared to the background rates. What is said, there's been numerous, numerous trials and studies about COVID-19 in pregnancy, but the evidence in pregnancy is extremely rare because the pregnant mothers, those who breastfeed, unfortunately have been excluded from clinical trials. But what is important, ladies and gentlemen, these newer strains seem to be affecting women more common and younger women are having these newer strains. They are being more symptomatic as compared to this initial strains. So to summarize my talk on implications of COVID-19 in pregnancy, ladies and gentlemen, these few key facts are essential. Most mothers will be asymptomatic. The need for ICU admissions are increased. If you're pregnant, if you have COVID, the need for ventilation is increased. Maternal mortality is increased 2.8 folds. It does not just affect the mother. The need for preterm delivery to aid maternal ventilation is increased. Caesarean section is increased and similarly stillbirths and neonatal deaths are increased. So ladies and gentlemen, pregnant mothers are vulnerable. It is our priority and responsibility to protect pregnant mothers and also to reduce the maternal and fetal implications of COVID-19. That brings to the second portion of my talk, the importance of vaccinating for pregnant and breastfeeding mothers. Interestingly, ladies and gentlemen, pregnant mothers are now prioritized in the phase two, and they are a group of attention. So if you include high-risk patients in the phase two, namely age, those immunocompromised who have HIV infections, people who have got medical illnesses, ladies and gentlemen, pregnant mothers with these factors are recommended to be vaccinated in the phase two. So why is this essential? I've already justified that pregnant mothers are vulnerable. Based on systemic review and meta-analysis, there are significant maternal and fetal implications. Ladies and gentlemen, based on our experience of vaccination, the live vaccines are contraindicated in pregnancy, but the mRNA vaccine does not seem to cause any infection and is not contraindicated in pregnancy. So the live vaccine, the Covivac vaccine from India is not recommended, but the mRNA vaccine is not a contraindication. It is recommended but it is a personal choice. It is the decision of the patient to choose willingly 
if she needs the vaccine or she wants to take it. The whole idea of vaccination is to reduce maternal and fetal implications in the second and third trimester. The CDC recommends three vaccines in pregnancy, the Moderna vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, and the J&J vaccine. But ladies and gentlemen, if you're pregnant, if you're breastfeeding in Malaysia, based on our guidelines, you will only get one vaccine, the community vaccine. Why is that so? Because the Pfizer vaccine has got the best safety profile and evidence which has been reported in pregnancy. And fortunately, Despite we in Malaysia having access to numerous types of vaccines, if you're pregnant, you only get one type of vaccine. Now, what is the recommended window for vaccination? The recommended window is between 14 to 33 weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, why the magic number of 14? We actually wanted to vaccinate pregnant mothers after the period of organogenesis. Although there are no concerns about vaccination in pregnancy, the first trimester is the period of organogenesis where we usually would like to limit unknown exposure. That is why we recommended vaccination after 14 weeks. Now, why the upper limit of 33 weeks? Ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to vaccinate pregnant mothers, you want to vaccinate them before the late second trimester, before the third trimester, when the implications are significant. Hence, our upper limit of 33 weeks, and this is based on our recommendations. If you vaccinate the mother, there's no evidence that it protects the baby as compared to the Tdap vaccination, where it has got some neonatal protections and the influenza vaccination as well has got some neonatal protections. But based on current literature, vaccinating the mother does not protect the baby at this moment of time. If you give the mother the COVID-19 vaccine, she can also take NTD vaccine. She can also take other vaccines, but the recommended interval is at least 14 days. Who are the high-risk pregnant mothers? Ladies and gentlemen, this list is not extensive, but these are the recommended patients who should be included in phase two. Those who are elderly, those who are obese, those who have got underlying significant medical conditions, those who are immunocompromised, those who are on immunosuppressive therapies, those who have had splenectomies, and these are the patients who are recommended to have the COVID-19 vaccination in pregnancy. Ladies and gentlemen, what are the other societies who currently recommend the vaccination? I think one of the first colleges to recommend the vaccination was the American College who came out strongly end of last year recommending the vaccination in pregnancy. That was followed by the CDC, that was followed by the Royal College of ONG, that was followed by the FIGO guidelines, which is the International Federation of Gynecology and Obstetrics. And the last society who now recommend vaccination is the JCVI, the Green Book, the Bible of Vaccination for UK, who just came out with a statement three weeks ago advising that pregnant women should be offered the vaccine the same time as the rest of the population. If you look into countries that have actually included vaccinating of pregnant mothers, I'm proud to say that among all these countries, Malaysia are also a frontliner. Israel, Belgium, Canada, Ireland, Germany, UK, USA, Scotland, Croatia, and Malaysia are among the countries who recommend vaccination among pregnant mothers. 
It is compulsory in Israel and Belgium, but it is based on voluntary basis in Malaysia. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm extremely proud that we are actually one of the frontliner Cantonese who actually are protecting our pregnant mothers. One of the biggest safety data with regards to vaccination in pregnancy is the V-SAFE data registry, which is based on those who have been vaccinated in the USA. Up to March and end of March, there were already about 63,000 over pregnant mothers who have been vaccinated in the US. And we now have a little bit of data about those who have been vaccinated in pregnancy. Based on this V-SAFE data registry, the average age of vaccination for mothers were 33 weeks. The average gestational age was 13 weeks. 51% of them were actually vaccinated in the first trimester, although our recommendation is to vaccinate after the first trimester. Majority of them got the Pfizer vaccine. Significant number of them had the Moderna vaccine. And this is based on 154 patients who were evaluated in the V-SAFE trial registry. So ladies and gentlemen, based on this registry, what are the implications of having vaccination in pregnancy? So interestingly, the first report we just published somewhere around the mid of February showed that the incidence of miscarriage was slightly increased, but the incidence of stillbirth was similar to the normal population. It does not cause increase in eclampsia, GDM, preeclampsia, IUGR. Vaccination does not cause fetal anomalies. Vaccination does not cause preterm births. Vaccination does not cause neonatal deaths. Vaccination does not cause small for gestational age. Interestingly, this paper was just published a few weeks ago in the New England Journal of Medicine, also extrapolating data from the V-safe pregnancy. There were some concerns about a slight increased risk of miscarriage if you take it in the first trimester, but there were no increased risk of stillbirths, preterm deliveries, this has been now been reported in the New England Journal of Medicine. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to bring your attention towards this paper, which was published in the Green Journal. Now, this just came out in the early April. This was a study looking into the cohort of pregnant and lactating mothers. Now, based on this paper, if you were to vaccinate your pregnant mothers, there's been a robust humoral immunity in the pregnant and lactating mothers, the immunogenicity and reactivity, which has been observed as compared to the non-pregnant mothers. And interestingly, the vaccine-induced response was far greater in the vaccination cohort as compared to those who have had natural infection. So we do know that the IgG is transferred via the placenta and the breast milk. The amount of IgG transfer is higher for those who have been vaccinated. It does not cause an infection in the fetus. It is not significant enough to cause protection. But it is interesting that the amount of transfer is far greater in the vaccination cohort as compared to those who have had natural infections. It is important that we continue to watch this space. So ladies and gentlemen, one of the first studies that showed the ability of the IgG to be transferred was this paper from Israel, which did show that if you vaccinate pregnant mothers or those who have infection, have got significant IgG, which has been excluded via the placenta 
and via the breast milk. But this does not render protection or neither does this impact the fetus. So this is something very interesting. So coming to the third part of my talk, ladies and gentlemen, it's all about counseling and shared decision-making. I think my key take-home point from this third part is, number one, you should not deny the pregnant mother or a mother who's breastfeeding the protection about vaccination, but you should have a, you should have a neutral counseling and it should be a shared decision-making made between the obstetrician, the physician, and the patient. So ladies and gentlemen, cohort number one, if you are a frontliner, you're extremely vulnerable. Your risk of having the infection is extremely high. It's important that you are protected. The benefit outweighs the risk of vaccination. If you're high risk, if you're elderly, if you are of high BMI, if you've got an underlying medical condition, your risk of having severe COVID-19 infection is increased. The benefit outweighs the risk. If you're a pregnant mother currently staying in the Klang Valley, your risk of having the infection is extremely high. The benefit outweighs the risk. But on the other hand, if you're a low-risk mother living in a population where there's low risk of transmission, this is the only time, ladies and gentlemen, you'll actually have to sit down, talk about the benefit and risk of vaccination. But I believe in Malaysia, if you're high risk, you're currently living in the midst of our third wave if we actually just implemented a movement control order, I think the risk of you having an infection in the community is high. If you're high risk, if you're pregnant, you should always discuss the benefits of vaccination. So ladies and gentlemen, what about fertility? It is clear that the vaccination does not cause infertility. If you're already on infertility treatment, it is not right to stop your treatment midway the recommendation is to continue treatment, but it's okay to be vaccinated in pregnancy. But if you're thinking of embarking on an infertility treatment, if you think you are high risk, if you think you're elderly, if you are obese, you've got medical problems, it is important to be vaccinated first and you'll be incorporated in the phase two high risk group and then later embark on an infertility treatment. But on the other hand, ladies and gentlemen, if you're absolutely low risk, you're healthy, you're young, you might not have the vaccine in your test as soon as August. Hence, it is perhaps not wise to delay your fertility treatment until you have the vaccine. So it is a discussion that you should make with your infertility expert, but it is reasonable not to delay your fertility treatment if you're low risk, but it's important to get vaccinated first before your fertility treatment if you are high risk we should counsel all our patients in the pre-pregnancy state. Now, interestingly, the British Fertility Society came out with a very strong statement. They said that a vaccine does not affect fertility. What is the interval between vaccine and fertility treatment? Ladies and gentlemen, there's no magic interval. If you have completed the second vaccine, you can actually have your fertility treatment soon after the second vaccine but it's not recommended to have your fertility treatment in between vaccinations. How about egg and sperm donation and vaccines? Just like your ability to, to donate blood, the recommended magic number is a seven-day interval, and that is based on the Human Fertility and Embryo Association. So you can donate your egg, you can donate your sperm seven days after having the vaccine, 
but there's no need to delay fertility treatment after the second vaccine. What if we have had recurrent miscarriages? Contrary to the evidence from the New England Journal of Medicine, the British Fertility Association does say that if we had recurrent miscarriages, it is not a contraindication for vaccination. So ladies and gentlemen, the recommendation to be vaccinated is between 14 to 33 weeks. But what if we had a patient who had the vaccine and later found out that she was pregnant? So what are the options of counseling? So ladies and gentlemen, we have got three options. Option number one, you ideally do not want to vaccinate her in the first trimester, namely because of the concerns of the increase in risk of miscarriage. So option number one, if she had the Pfizer vaccine, it is okay to delay her second vaccination after 14 weeks, because now we know that if you vaccinate her within 12 weeks, the IgG response is better and she's still protected. So option number one, just take one vaccine, have the second vaccine 14 weeks of pregnancy, as long as the interval is within 12 weeks. Option number two, if the pregnant mother finds that not acceptable, it is actually okay just to have one vaccine because if we have the Pfizer vaccine, we do know that the protection can be as high as 87%. Option number three, the pregnant lady finds option number one not acceptable. Option number two, one vaccine not acceptable. It is okay to have the second dose because based on the V-SAFE study, of all the 51% out of 154 patients who had the vaccine, there were no increased incidence of fetal anomalies. There were no increased incidence of stillbirths, although there was a slight increased risk of miscarriage. So these are your options on counseling of pregnant mothers who had the vaccine in between pregnancies. So ladies and gentlemen, some other commonly asked question. I got COVID-19 vaccine. Can I take the Tdep vaccine? Yes. I've got the COVID-19 vaccine. Do I need the influenza vaccine? Yes. I have allergies. Can I be vaccinated? It is not a contraindication. It is best to discuss with your physician. Does vaccination cause fetal anomaly? No. Can I take the anti-tetanus jab if I had the COVID-19 vaccine? First and foremost, you do not really need the anti-tetanus jab in pregnancy. It is no longer a recommendation, but it is okay to take the anti-tetanus vaccine after having the COVID-19 vaccine. Do I need a detailed scan after a vaccine? The answer is not. Do I need to routinely check a urine pregnancy test before a vaccine? There's no need for a routine check. If I get pregnant after a vaccine, we have got three options, which I've mentioned earlier. So ladies and gentlemen, my take-home message for my talk, healthcare professionals and high-risk pregnant mothers are vulnerable. Most of them will be asymptomatic. The maternal and fetal implications of COVID-19 are extremely significant, namely ICU admissions, mortality, preterm deliveries, and cesarean seconds. Do not deny a pregnant mother or a breastfeeding mother a proven preventive method. Vaccination saves lives, ladies and gentlemen. Vaccine has been proven to significantly reduce hospitalization and deaths. I think it is a shared decision made between the physician and the patient. And the patient then has the right to choose. I personally feel denying a safe intervention is a, violating of, it's a violation of human rights. Do not deny pregnant mother the potential benefits of the vaccine.
So these are the references based on the two, 23rd of March updated guidelines on COVID-19 vaccination in pregnancy. I would like to bring attention to this infographic that you can use in your own daily practice to counsel patients. I'd like to end with a quote, ladies and gentlemen, women do not die because of illnesses that we cannot treat. They unfortunately die because society still hasn't decided that their lives are worth saving. It is important that we continue to save lives. It is important that we continue to protect the vulnerable. We should be protecting the high-risk pregnant and breastfeeding mothers. With that, thank you so much for your kind attention, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Dr. Muniswaran, for your insightful presentation. Mm. Now, uh, we will go to the Q&A session. Please type your questions in the slide. We will try to answer as many clinical questions as possible. So this is the first question we will put up. If a patient has received the first dose vaccination, prior to the second dose, patient falls sick. Example, gets a common cold. Can he proceed with the second dose? I presume this is a pregnant. Uh, this is for pregnant lady, uh, not for pregnant pregnant lady. Yeah? Or can it be both as well, I guess. Can can be both, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to answer the question. Uh, okay, maybe I can start uh, to answer this question. Uh, for those with a common cold, uh, as we know that. Uh, COVID-19, uh, clinically, they can present with uh, fever, cough, uh, runny nose, like a common cold as well. So I will advise uh, this patient to go to the cl local clinic first uh, because uh, like in our state, uh, we have a guideline that uh, if the patient had fulfilled the clinical COVID symptoms, so we have to uh, uh, proceed with uh, SWAP uh, and PCR do the uh, COVID-19 PCR first. And then if this negative and uh, the symptom is subsided, then they can, uh, he or she can proceed with the second dose. I think that is uh, similar to pregnancy as well. Uh, it's important to assess. I think the protocols of uh, for pregnant and non-pregnant mothers are the same, uh, Dr. Thomas. <laughs> okay, thank you. Second question. Uh... Is there any gap for tetanus vaccine for patients post-COVID-19 vaccination? I believe these are the pregnancy cohorts. Uh, so I think it was covered in my lecture. Uh, having the COVID-19 vaccination per se is not a contraindication for other vaccinations in pregnancy. So it is okay to give the tetanus vaccine, although currently we are moving away from a routine tetanus vaccination in pregnancy. So the, recommend, the vaccines that are recommended in pregnancy now, apart from COVID-19 for high-risk mothers, are the influenza vaccine and the Tdap vaccine, which actually protects the baby from pertussis infection. So it is recommended, but the interval for good clinical practice is 14 days from the COVID-19 vaccine. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it is similar also in... Uh in other patient, non-pregnant patient, the gap is uh, about two weeks after uh, uh, post-COVID-19 vaccine. Thank you, Dr. Mazahan. <coughs> after receive the second dose, uh, how long period can someone to plan for TTC? I'm not sure what 
TTC stands for. Uh, is it a, a ONG term, Doctor Monis? Uh, unfortunately, no, Doctor uh, Thomas. I'm not sure what TTC is as well. Yeah. Is it, is it, I'm not is sure. it something like IVF? Something. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a commonly. Uh, abbreviation. It's not common abbreviation. So we can't. We won't answer this question, uh, I don't, don't quite understand. Go to the next question. Maybe they can rephrase again their question. We'd we'll be happy to answer. Yeah, the, the one, mm. the, the person who sent can probably rephrase. Yeah. Okay. The guideline stated that first dose of community yes. vaccine will be given between 14 to 33 weeks, but can the second dose be given after 33 weeks of pregnancy? Yes. Uh, so very relevant question. Uh, a common clinical question which has been asked uh, since February. So, ladies and gentlemen, although the guideline says 33 weeks has the upper limit, our rationale was these patients should ideally completed their second dose by 33 weeks because the risk of having severe infection is highest in the late second trimester and the third trimester. But for some unknown reasons, she's not been able to complete by 33 weeks. She has had her first dose. It is okay and it is logical that she completes the second dose. So it is not a contraindication, but the recommendation ideally is that she should actually try to complete the vaccination before the third trimester because that gives the best maternal and fetal benefits. Okay. Uh... This is also an ONG question. They're asking Dr. Norzaihan, uh, for those who get pregnant after the first dose, what is the policy in your setting in delaying the second dose? What's the maximum number of days after first dose? Uh, Dr. Monish can uh, give a comment after this. Uh, what we practice, actually, we follow the guideline. Uh, if the patient uh, get pregnant after the first dose, uh, we wait for the uh, at 14 weeks to give the uh, uh, second dose. Yeah, so I would, I would like to add on to this. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Elia Zeti, thank you so much for asking this question. I think it is, uh, you need to reassess uh, the whole situation. What is her risk? Is she high risk or is she low risk? What is her risk of having COVID-19 infections? What is her perception of having the vaccination in the first trimester? Because based on the V-safe data, there was a slight increased risk of miscarriage. So I would give her all this information, and then I'll give her the three options. Option one, just take one. Option number two, delay up to 14 weeks. But uh, the UK now, they have a protocol where they are giving the vaccine, second vaccine after a 12-week interval. And they showed that if we give after 12 weeks, the immune race, IgG levels are higher after six weeks. So that is also one uh, reasonable recommendation. I think it's a shared decision-making. Give the patient all that information, and based on our current guidelines, you and the patient then needs to make an informed decision. Uh, so that will be my advice to you. So the maximum interval should be within 12 weeks. That is what we know. And ideally, it should be after 14 weeks of pregnancy. These are two magic numbers, but those are good clinical practice points. These are not absolute contraindications. So the next question is, uh, if patient received first dose of Pfizer at nine weeks, at the time patient still don't know that she is pregnant, 
Should we arrange for detailed scan? Yeah, so what we know from the V-safe data, the vaccination does not cause fetal anomaly. So if you had a vaccine, that alone is not an indication for a detailed scan. It is okay to treat her as per usual. Uh, and that is what the current guidelines recommend as well. Okay, uh, how long to monitor pregnant mother after the vaccination and uh, which of the current COVID-19 vaccines may confer passive immunity to the children? So uh, question number one, how long to monitor? I think it's the same for pregnant mothers and for non-pregnant mothers. So the recommendation of monitoring after a vaccine remains same like what Dr. Nozahan has actually presented. Now, about evidence about passive immunity to the children. So let me recap. Giving the COVID-19 vaccine does not offer passive immunity to the baby. IgG has been found in breast milk, but it is not sufficient enough to cause immunity to the baby. So yeah, uh, it does not cause immunity to the baby. The only idea of vaccination is to protect the mother. I uh, just want to ask if we can administer IM drugs as... I'm not sure what is this. Zuclopentexol. Sure, it's an anti... Uh, Anti-psychotic, anti anti anti-psychotic. And uh -huh. vaccine on the same day, since both meds administered is through IM. I think uh, I, I will advise uh, it should be individualized. Uh, let's say this is the first time you inject this medication. You probably uh, uh, will have problem uh, in terms of side effects. Is it, is it due to this drug or to the vaccine? So I would prefer to uh, uh, give a gap between if this if it is the first time you inject this drug, if this is uh, uh, the, the cases that you have given for follow up and no side effects with this IM medication, uh, I think there is no uh, contraindication to give the vaccine uh, COVID nineteen vaccine on the same day, and it is not in the guideline. For for breastfeeding mother, uh, below six months, which brand of vaccine will be given? So the best scientific evidence for pregnancy and breastfeeding still remains the evidence from the sign uh, from the Pfizer vaccine. So the Malaysian guidelines only recommends one vaccination for this cohort of patients. That is the Pfizer vaccine. The CDC, on the other hand, recommends the Moderna the BioNTech and the J&J vaccine. But if you are breastfeeding in Malaysia, uh, you only probably get one, one vaccine. Uh, I think the participant also replied that TTC is trying to conceive. Oh, so right. when should you give vaccine and when should you try to conceive? There's no magic number. As long as you have completed the second dose of vaccine and if you're high risk, you can try to conceive the same day itself. It is not an absolute contraindication. Uh, how long? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think maybe Dr. Muniz has answered this question. How long a lady at a reproductive age should wait to conceive after getting the vaccine? Yes, uh, Dr. Thomas. So I think it depends on the patient's risk factors. If she's high risk, 
if she's above 40, if she's obese, if she's got medical disorders in pregnancy, the recommendation is to get vaccinated first. She'll be phase two and then embark on the pregnancy. But on the other hand, if she's young, she's healthy, she's fit, she's got no risk factors, it is perhaps not reasonable to delay fertility treatment until she's got a vaccine. So the second group, it's okay to try high risk recommendations to get vaccinated first. There's no magic interval. Okay, uh, for, for pregnant mother not fulfilling high risk criteria but living in Klang Valley, should she be included in phase two vaccination rollout? I think, yes, we do have a national protocol. And I think that is comprehensive, that covers equally throughout the nation. And I must highlight that it is not just limited to Klang Valley. So if you're high risk, if you're pregnant, if you fulfill the criteria, irrespective of where you stay or live, uh, you eventually would have assessed and have a discussion about the benefits of vaccination. How about uh, pregnant breastfeeding mother taking AstraZeneca? Is it recommended? I think you're uh, I'm afraid uh, the Malaysian guidelines does not recommend it. I'm afraid the CDC guidelines does not recommend AstraZeneca. Uh, so what are the implications in pregnancy? The general consensus is that the incidence of uh, thrombosis following the AstraZeneca vaccination is extremely rare. Pregnancy per se is not an absolute contraindication, but it is fortunate that if you're in Malaysia, you will likely not get the AstraZeneca vaccination. Uh, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, you only get the Pfizer vaccine. Okay, if, if the patient missed the second dose for more than 12 weeks, do we repeat the vaccine course? Miss the second dose. Patient missed the second dose. Oh, in the guideline, we, we, we didn't uh, repeat the first and second dose. Just proceed with the second dose. Okay, thank you. Uh, I, you know, this is a tough question to answer. The PCR uh, and give a positive. I think so, it's positive. Uh, then pregnant given the first dose I don't quite understand this question. Uh, after negative result, after Pfizer vaccine, detected with mutant variant that is present. Any suggestion when second dose? So uh, I believe the patient was COVID-19 positive. And then she had the first dose uh, of the Pfizer. So this after negative. Oh, after it became negative and then given Pfizer. So based on the current recommendations, irrespective of the type of mutants, the current vaccination does render significant benefits extremely with regards to death and hospitalization, irrespective of the type of variant. I think despite it being a mutant variant, I believe there are no change in the current vaccination protocol. Uh, Dr. Nozan, please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah. Stat study have showed that uh, community, uh, community is effective to neutralize uh, the coronavirus uh, strain and uh, 
those uh, variants in Brazil and also uh, UK variant. Uh, but for Corona vets, it needs further trial. This question is on Pfizer, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know whether we can answer this question or what. Because uh, is there a need to do long-term follow-up for pregnant mothers and their children? Uh, uh that's a. <laughs> yeah. I think what uh, throughout the world we are trying to do is to evaluate and follow up pregnant mothers who have been vaccinated. And I think we in Malaysia also embarking on similar uh, uh, strategies. I think there are many things which remains unanswered about COVID-19. And often there are more questions than answers. But believe me, yeah. science is evolving as fast as the virus. So let us know now, I think our main aim is try to put the fire off, try to protect as many pregnant mothers as possible because we do know that the vaccine is extremely beneficial. Is there a need to follow up these mothers and children? Ideally, yes. Do we have to? Yes. But I believe that will be after we have completed phase three. And I believe that is something that we have to wait and watch. And that is my personal take. I think the other questions are mainly repeat questions. Uh, AstraZeneca, I think already answered uh, how long can proceed for pregnancy after second dose also answered. Yeah, I think all the answer questions have been answered. Uh, uh, I think uh, other questions here, actually repeat questions. So uh, I think that if there's no more questions, should, should we uh, end the session? Yes, so I would just like to conclude as a take-home message. Uh, the ladies and gentlemen, I think it's important that we have responsible clinicians taking care of pregnant and breastfeeding mothers to have uh, the indirected counseling, uh, assess the risk, personalized care, individualized care, and give pregnant mothers that information. And then you should make a shared decision about what is best for her. And that will be my take-home message. So no, Zaihan, you want to say anything? Okay, I would like to uh, to pledge all the uh, healthcare worker to increase uh, and counsel appropriately uh, to increase uh, the take up of uh, vaccine uh, COVID nineteen vaccine to all Malaysian so that we will get the herd immunity and back to our normal life and. All the best uh, for the second uh, phase and the third phase of uh, COVID-19 uh, vaccine program. So, Selamat Hari Raya, Maaf Zahir Batin to all the viewers. Yeah, the other thing, so I think the, uh, the people who are actually in the, in the line list, who are line listed, uh, we hope they actually appear for their vaccination because wasting vaccine is uh, it's something very precious and... Uh, I think there are also many people out there when they are uh, waiting to be vaccinated. So, uh, and looking at our our third wave now, the, the cases are so high. So, uh, if you are lying listed, please appear and get vaccinated. So, in uh, to conclude, we had an interesting session. Uh, thank you for joining us today. If you would like to get updates on 
future webinars and other activities, you can sign up our email newsletter or follow our social media accounts, which the secretary will share at the end of the webinar. Thank you all.